You're listening to Al Pastor, the show that helps you love God, love your neighbor, and eat more tacos. I'm your host, Pastor Brian. Welcome to the show. Well, hello, hello to everybody, wherever you're at and wherever you're listening from. This is episode number seven. What a great number, right? At podcast episode seven. Uh, Today, what we're going to be covering is part of our reading that we do as a church, and this comes out of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16, through chapter 4, verse 10. So I want to try to keep this as simple as possible. Um, There is one verse that is kind of what we would call, um, I guess you would call it a hinge verse that's found in here, and I want to read it. It is chapter 4, verse 1. So hopefully you've already done your reading and maybe you've got some questions. Perhaps I will might even answer one for you throughout this, um, but we'll get right into it. So chapter 4, verse 1, let me read it to you. It says, and this is the New King James, it says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So this is, again, another warning. What we've been noticing is a pattern over the last couple of days. So that was in episode 6, episode 5. The author of Hebrews is very, very concerned for his audience. And he's giving them warning. So be careful how you listen. Uh, You need to think very carefully. And all of this hinges around the person of Jesus Christ. So I think that it's going to be very, very important for us today to meditate, acknowledge, and make sure that we understand what is this terminology about rest. So let's put something to the side right off the get-go. Rest, we're not talking about like laying down and getting some rest, although that definitely could be um, part of it. This is much more. This sense of rest is just a full uh, appreciation trusting of of the Lord himself and what he has accomplished for us. So we we could say that it's believing in the finished work of the cross and the resurrection and for our salvation. In other words, there is nothing that we can do to earn it. So again, I want you to notice chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, since a promise remains, what's that promise? It is in, it is in the person of Jesus Christ of entering into his rest, his rest. We need to be very, very careful about this. What are we relying on for our justification of our eternal life, of our of our salvation? So there are a lot of different possibilities with our reading today. But one of the things that we, we definitely need to be careful about is how we define terms. And the Bible is the best definer of terms. Now, you can go in and look at a particular word and see what it looks like, like in the original Greek, and those things are great. But oftentimes, as well, the Bible will define how this word is used. And so something that's really interesting is the three different ways that this this chapter or section, probably section because it goes from chapter 3 all the way into chapter 4, Um, actually defines rest. So it's used in three different ways. The first one is in reference to the rest that Israel had been promised in Canaan. Okay, so if you remember, this is going all the way back to the Exodus. God uh, redeemed and pulled out a people and said, I'm sending you to a land. So that's the big part of 
Um, that right there, that's that's the rest, entering into the land. But it was so much more than that. It was entering into a place that God had prepared for them, so they needed to trust that he was going to do what he said. It was the promise of his presence. He was already there with them through signs and wonders and miracles. I mean, think about parting the Red Sea and the pillar of fire by night. I mean, they even wandered for 40 years and not even the soles of their shoes went out. Remember that? And so Israel actually failed. And and here in Hebrews, he reminds us the reason that they failed. And so let's look. It's verse 19 of chapter 3. He says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So here's, here's a very, very important point. Unbelief will ultimately produce disobedience. And that's the reason that, that the children of Israel could not enter into everything that God had for them. Now, their rest, yes, it was literal, a land in God's presence and protection from their enemies, but it was also ultimately what we call the terminology in the Bible is like types and shadows. It was a rest of something that was to come, something that was greater. And they couldn't because of unbelief. And again, remember, unbelief produces disobedience. Let's go all the way back now in your mind to the Garden of Eden. Remember, God created the garden and we have Adam and we have Eve and he placed the trees there. Now, remember, what did God say? You can eat of anything you want except for this one tree. Now, they were disobedient, but we have to take it a step further back. What produced their, dis, their, their disobedience? It was their unbelief. How? Well, what did Satan do? Satan tempted them by making them doubt God's word. God's word. Satan said, did God really say you couldn't eat of this? Or did God really say that you would surely die? And so when they allowed doubt to come in, now notice who they're doubting. They're doubting God. They're doubting the word of the Lord. And when we allow doubts to come in about the things that God has said, about the things that God has promised, ultimately what it will produce is unbelief. And then if you take it a step further, unbelief can produce in us death apart from Jesus Christ. So it's so vitally important that we get this. And so we see how this is framed by the author of Hebrews by um, using the example of the children of Israel. So again, chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, we need to always see what it's there for. He gives the first example. So there's a promise that remains. Now we enter into the rest of the Lord the moment that we become saved. You say, well, how does that work? Well, if you have repented and trusted in Jesus Christ, meaning like you, you believe in the finished work, then you are a participant of his rest. Now, there's two dimensions to this rest. There's a rest that's right here, right now. And then there is a rest to come, the ultimate rest. When does that happen? Well, it happens by either way of the grave or by way of the rapture. But one day, and I believe this is going to be soon, folks, one day we are going to enter in to the final presence of the Lord where he's going to say, well 
done, good, and faithful servant, where we receive everything that he has for us. And then we will truly be in his rest. But for now, this rest is things that we have to fight for, things that we have to um, make sure that we are staying on top of our walk. The word for this is discipleship. So let me go on with a couple of the other examples in the way, because we're, we're talking about how rest is defined, how it is set up. So we have the first example of God uh, in his promise to Israel. The second example that the author uses is God's own uh, rest himself. So I want you to think about this because he goes he goes back. And what he's talking about is God uh, finished the creation of the heavens and the earth. We're talking, we're going again, going all the way back to Genesis. And then after six days, he saw that it was all good. And then what did he do? He rested. But what let's think about this now. What what did God really do? He said, he looked. And he said, this is my finished work. And he ceased. And then he gave us an invitation to enter into his finished work. That was the intention of the Sabbath all throughout Scripture. So he says, I finished this. Enter in now and look what I have done. And you're to do this week in and week out. That's supposed to be the natural cycle and rhythm. Now, we're not talking about the, the validity of like, um, Sabbath keeping or anything like that. That's that could be a totally different lesson, but there is great value in um, keeping up with those natural rhythms of life and taking um, actual true Sabbath rests that involve nothing but reflecting and enjoying the Lord in His presence and His creation and all the things that are involved with that. So this is the second way that the author does that. So again, think about this: number one, Israel; number two, God's own rest where God invites us into his completed, finished work. And then the third aspect is what we experience. Now, I also want you to think, ponder, meditate on the similarities between what God did at creation and what Jesus did himself. Now, we know that the worlds were made by him and through him, and without him was nothing made. But we read a couple of days ago how when Christ made atonement. They use the, there's that word propitiation, right? He was the ultimate sacrifice. It says that he sat down at the right hand of God. What did that mean? It meant that he ceased, he finished, that the work was complete. So much like creation and what God invited us to, invites us to do, so does Christ. He completed the finished work of the cross and through the resurrection accomplished and conquered death, and then he sat down and he invites us into that rest, not for anything that we have done. So this is the part of works, right? But because what he has done. And so this rest in this aspect is a total and complete trust, and it involves obedience because when we trust him, when we believe him, we will obey. I'm going to read you just a couple of uh, snippets out of the Life Application Bible Commentary. And um, if any of you happen to have this resource, I would highly recommend that 
you go and you read the majority of it along with it. I also love the Bible knowledge commentary, but here lately, it's just the uh, the life application Bible commentary is so, so uh, precious. So here's a little excerpt, and this is found on uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, no complacency. It says, some of the Jewish Christians may have been on the verge of falling short of their promised rest in Christ, just as many of their ancestors had fallen short of true rest in the promised land. In both cases, the difficulties of the present moment overshadowed the reality of God's promise, and the people doubted that God would fulfill his promises. For many today, the problem takes the form of complacency toward Christ's demands rather than doubt. Do not take Christ's words for granted or take lightly his promises. Those who do so may end up falling short. Wow. Beautifully written. Couldn't say it better myself. But again, it's this idea that unbelief, if we're not if we're not fully trusting, it can produce in us disobedience. And by the way, what's the opposite of unbelief? It's belief. It's faith. And then how does faith come? How? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. This is why it's so vitally important that we understand and know God's Word. This needs to be our primary diet. I don't think we get enough Word of God. I mean, we really, really don't. The amount of Bible that we actually consume and act and are obedient on is very, very little. Um, I'm going to read you one more. And this is a little excerpt on chapter 4, verse 2. And it says, more than hearing. And by the way, those of you, I think the majority of you are, are uh, church listeners anyways. I'm going to post these two quotes on Faith Life as well. I hope it will be a blessing to you. Listen to this. It says, the Israelites of Moses's and Joshua's day heard great messages from God, but they still did not respond in faith. Many people in our churches today reflect the same problem. They've heard messages. They may have even read the Bible, but they have not responded in faith. People know a great deal about Christ, but they do not know him personally. They don't combine their hearing with faith. They are not real believers who take God at his word and obey him. Religion without obedience to God has no value. Hearing many sermons and not responding only makes us indifferent to the word of God. Believe in Christ and then act on what you know. Are you just hearing the word or are you hearing and obeying? So, so church folks, friends, listeners, this is part of entering into his rest. It's a fully dependent trust on him, believing in the finished work of the cross and in the resurrection. It is a life that is committed to him through the discipline of discipleship. Hey, if there's anything whatsoever in any of our reading, uh, please don't hesitate. And if you've got a question... Uh, that you want to ask, and if I can answer it for you, and it may be to help somebody else, I'll address it right here just on a, on a podcast. doesn't matter if it takes five minutes or it could take 10 minutes. But um, again, I want to thank you so much for uh, listening. I'm excited. I hope to have on uh, another guest here soon. My hope is that it's going to be my wife, Marcia, 
And so we'll see about that if she wants to, she wants to join me and uh, maybe perhaps you as well. I'd love to have some of you guys on and we can talk, we can discuss the things of the Lord, God's word. And then of course, talk about some tacos as well. So again, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you, see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to Al Pastor with Brian Overturf. If you found value in this, please subscribe and get updates. Most places podcasts are available. We're right here on Anchor FM through Spotify. Also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. I hope you'll tune in for the next episode. Until then, we'll see you later. <laughs>